I just had a video conference with my eye doctor this morning. How do you know if your eyes work if you're having a video conference and you can't, and you can't see what's going on? <laughs> well, in the video I can see her. I know it's good, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, Carlo, thanks for joining the show. And um, so, Carlo, you're an actor, you're a film producer, and, and you have your own production company. And if I'm, if I'm not mistaken, you're on the L.A., California, uh, Pacific time? San Francisco area. San, all right. San I Francisco. was in L.A. for 20 years. Uh, but I got out of there, man. Uh, there are a bunch of crazy people down there. I uh, I like it much better up here in Northern California. I can go back down there anytime I want if I need to meet with somebody. Sure. And right now we have three films in active development. When I say active, I mean in the process of talking to investors, funders. So uh, if they give us a go ahead, then we'll will go but the caveat being depending on the circumstances no film is more important than a human life yeah so i will be very carefully looking over the situation and see if they got rid of some of these crazies personally i think they should uh put them all in a big box and ship them to the moon or something or maybe mars i don't know <laughs> Well, I mean, I don't, I don't know if you watch Space Force, but we're, we're, we're working our way up to the moon and then Mars. And we're gonna oh, I love shooting. that. I love it. <laughs> I think it's great. Uh, that's, the, that's the final frontier, as they say, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and why couldn't there not be other life out there? Uh, I had a, when I was attending uh, Florida State U, I had a humanities professor say, how do we know that we're not just some hick planet off the main drag? And they're zipping back and forth. And once in a while, they look down and say, are these guys ready? No, no, not yet. Not yet. Uh, and yeah. so one of these fine times, they'll show up and say, man, you guys are really messed up. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I, I, you know, I do, I do think of that. Like, how are we going to be perceived in this, uh, you know, 100 years from now, in this intergalactic, um, you know, listen, Star Trek got about half of it right. You know, well, the little, the the little, the little yeah, comms, yeah, the little yeah, comms yeah. And, the, and technology and, and the way we've advanced in space travel. And I don't think, I think there was very little real world space travel at the time. Well, and a lot of the people. The two projects that I like the most, Star Wars and Star Trek, because they, they show a promising, happy future. Where all these other guys, everything is doom and gloom and we're in a messy and everything's crappy. And I don't like that picture at all. Yeah, no, I, I think Star Trek's main focus was uh, unity, not only the, not only a, a planetary unity, because I think it all turned, correct me if I'm wrong, but within Star Trek, it's just one federation, right? Yeah. It's one planetary federation, yeah, and then... Well, and then we, at least it gives you a little more hope that people were smart enough to kind of put things together and keep it kind of, you know, at least something to look forward to. And then I really like the idea of getting out there and exploring all those different planets to see what's going on absolutely and you mentioned um you mentioned the author of romance in the stone and and jewel and isle i'm sorry you were you mentioned the author of romance in the stone and jewel and isle the writer uh catherine lanigan 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 yeah so she's uh very very nice i met her and her husband years back had lunch with them here in san francisco and um we hit it off really well. And of course, 
everyone's familiar with Jewel of the Nile and Romancing the Stone. Yeah. And she's got a bunch more. I mean, that's where my one weak point was I didn't have any rom-coms in my uh, little gathering of scripts, so to speak. But um, I have one. And it's called uh, The Sculptor and the Lady. And of course, you know, you're always looking around trying to figure out where you're going to shoot these things and who's going to be in it and who can you get and all that thing. Um, mm. we, we have a, a, one of the projects that we're most closest to right now is called Forced Vengeance. And uh, it's an action, of course, and it's nothing new, but it's stuff that people love to watch. Oh, yeah. I, I, I love anything with like those kind of titles you know i i remember growing up in the late 80s early 90s yeah whenever i saw a title like that i just had to watch it and Don't yeah anybody but i stole a title from an old chuck norris movie <laughs> oh you, you don't say you don't say <laughs> <laughs> uh i'm crazy but i i'm I've, i'm so blessed uh that an old guy like me can still be running around doing stuff you know what i mean mm -hmm. And um, I figure I got to last at least another 10 or 15 years because uh, so I can get all my scripts off the ground. And uh, it's, it's great. I mean, uh, if I decide to take a small part in one of my projects, who's going to argue with me, right? So I right. figured that was, that was the premise of me starting the whole thing in the first place. And yeah. uh, I also have I managed to do a little bit of writing uh, I've either written or rewritten about 14 scripts so far. Uh, the one latest one is a TV series called The Concrete Jungle. It seems that they're always crying about the diversity, diversity, diversity. Okay, well, as far as I'm concerned, there's only two kinds of people in the world. The good guys and the <coughs> holes. And uh, whatever else you want, doesn't really make any difference because I take everybody on a one-to-one -one basis. So what I, I saw a play at the Wilshire Bell Theater many years ago, and it was a, a black production. They did a marvelous job. And this one kid was down on the street. He's one of the gang bangers or something. And the guy says, how come you're not working with your dad, man? He's got a big furniture store. You'd be having, he's now a man. He says, it's my concrete jungle. And I went, ding, concrete jungle. Now I've got to find a story to go with that neat title. Well, I did. So I take a Hispanic surgeon, a Chinese Catholic priest, a black educator and a white cop from the juvenile division. And they all get together to help kids in the inner city before they get in trouble. So each week would be a different kid with his problem that they solve. And there's nothing like it on TV. So I think it would be well received. Especially now. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think, yeah. I think we're definitely, I think the, the uh, general public is really reaching out for these diverse, unique, multicultural, multi-ethnical backgrounded type of, you know, character develop, development stories. Everybody should be getting a chance to do what they want to do, regardless of race, creed, or color, or whatever. It's like, don't do it by race. Do it by who's qualified to take the job, whoever they are. Yeah. And so 
basically, uh, that's what I go with every time. So I'm really looking forward to getting some of these things going off the ground again with all this craziness going on. I just wish people would wake up and get their heads together. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, it's a rough time. And, and, you know, we've had these pockets in this nation, you know, in the last hundred, 150, 200 years, you know, and I think every, you know, every, every generation, I, I've, I've mentioned this on my show before that every generation needs to have this moment of clarity, moment of, uh, you know, a flash in, in the face kind of, you know, kind of like, you know, uh, you know, like someone just clapping in their face, like wake up. It's time to like, you know, see, see things from a different point of view um, and drastically because yeah, I think this, I think this nation is guilty of being regressive. And I think what's great, I think in the last maybe 10, 15, 20 years that I've seen in, in, in my personal experiences is that, progressiveness has really started to take hold and really start to, to kick into overdrive and, and move things along. At a, well, I got I have to be honest with you. I really feel there's things going on behind the scenes that we don't have any idea of, except we're starting to get a little hint. Now what's going on. Yeah. There are people out there that don't want us to be an American anymore. They want us to be under their heel. It, this is nothing new. It's been going on for hundreds of years. Somebody wants to take over the darn world. So I don't know why. I mean, it seems like it'd be a heck of a awful job <laughs> to do in the first place. I mean, I'm just... Anyway. You mean whole, uh, entire world domination would be a bit of a, a bit of a headache, right? Oh, my God. I wouldn't even want to be president for crying out loud. Just, just, just I, this nation is enough, right? <laughs> yeah no, i understand so, uh, i agree uh just if you don't mind my asking you uh are you involved also in within the film business as far as um doing projects and things yeah so uh i you know i've been i've been uh doing film and tv crew work and production work since oh five oh six and uh like yourself kind of in reverse order uh that you did it um I enlisted in the military some time ago and then kind of used that as a background to, to get some acting work as law enforcement, military roles. And I'll say, hey, you know, I'm already a sergeant, so I can play sergeant this, officer that, detective this. Plus, I'm an MP in the National Guard. So, so military police, so military and police. So I, you know, so with 10, after 10 or, you know, 10 or plus years of doing production work, I decided to dabble in acting. And there was maybe two straight years that it was just nothing but acting. And um, I'm, I'm in the D.C. area, but we have a couple of production companies around here that'll do those crime shows on ID and and uh, and reels and America's Most Wanted copycat killers, those type of crime reenactment shows. So I got do you, have a, do you have a SAG card. I do not know. So out here, mm. the mar the market isn't very huge out here for SAG just yet. Now, I am. Well, you never know. You never know. Yeah. Because uh, some guy like me come along and say, "Well, hey, wait a minute, you got the right look for this part." Mm -hmm. So absolutely, um, I guess we better stay in touch. Huh? Right? Absolutely. <laughs>
Yeah, yeah. Uh, but but you know, like you, but in reverse. As I was acting, I was meeting other actors. I was meeting other crew, and just you know, kind of dropping hints like, "Oh, hey, I also you know AD, and I and I and I'm a production coordinator. I write, produce, direct. I have some scripts. I have some projects in the works." And there was a there was a few projects I was able to get off the ground with a bunch of other actors and and other uh, uh, crew members that I met along the way of acting. And so it's kind of like like what you're doing, where if you're going to pr produce a film, you might give yourself a role. Whereas, uh, you know, I could give myself a role in my own thing, but me acting in these other things will kind of build build a network. And then maybe I can, you know, get some independent projects kind of picked up off the ground. Well, I started out actually with several years in the military. Uh, it was crazy. I was in three different services <laughs> seemed like a good idea at the time mm -hmm. but and then i went into business and i several years of business management uh sales administration that sort of thing so i came into this business with a different outlook so i hopefully i have two sides of my brain working the business and the creative side i did 10 years of theater as an actor and uh got a chance to hone my skills in comedy in front of a live audience, which is kind of fun. In fact, uh, I spent not every day, but off and on two and a half years with Johnny Carson on the Tonight Show uh, okay. as one of the Mighty Carson art players. And uh, that was crazy. We did one uh, skit, uh, uh, James Bond is a senior citizen. And I uh, played uh, <laughs> MD, his bond, you see, and so I got along very well, actually. So, and uh, we did one with, uh, here he did both Carter and Reagan debate. He did both parts. And I did the Howard K. Smith moderator of the panel. And that was fun stuff. Uh, I also spent, not every day, but a year off and on on General Hospital as a harbor master. Uh, came on and uh, the, the wardrobe people are going nuts. I said, what's the matter? I said, well, we don't know what, how, what to outfit. And I said, wait a minute, I got an idea for you. I just got out of the Navy. Why don't we just take my Navy uniform and readjust it to Harbor Master? Oh, they were just tickled to death. So I, I'm always, you know, I started out doing background work as a cop on streets of San Francisco. Uh, not a bad guy because a bad guy could work once for the season that he's done. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you're a cop, you can, and we used to go out. I was a Navy recruiter at the time and said, where are you going? I said, oh, I'm uh, going off recruiting. And so I'd go running for wherever they were shooting and get with the second AD and say, hey, Lenny can put us on for the next show. <laughs> so yeah. they request us. <laughs> it's all fun stuff. I mean, I uh, spent a week with Marlon Brando on the formula as his chauffeur in the movie, but, from outside, the windows are dark, you can't see inside. Inside, the big 35 millimeters in the passenger seat shooting in the back to the money guy. And he was quite a guy. I mean, big as a house, but that's okay. <laughs> what people, he was playing an aging industrialist with a hearing aid attached to his lines of tape recorder. And so we're yeah. shooting and he says, he stops and says, Gentlemen, I'd like to go further, but I've just run out of tape. So <laughs> I've worked with, uh, worked with, uh, I stood in, when I was doing background work, 
I was asking questions. I was watching the set. I was seeing what they were doing and learned a lot. That was a, a lot of stuff going on. Robert Mitchum and Angie Dickinson. I stood in for him on uh, One Shoe Makes It Murder. They were both great. So I haven't done any big stuff. A lot of little stuff. But I think I feel that I'm semi-successful in my career because I get a small check every month. Mm -hmm. So I at least made enough to do that. I met a lot of really cool people along the way too. So and of course there's a few of the idiots that shouldn't be in the business, but that's another story. Well, you know, you you, you touched on a on a on a good point, and I bring this a lot, bring this up a lot on the show is that you've always been doing you've been doing what you love. So there's there's you know uh, a priceless value there. There's this you know, uh, quality of life and enjoyment of life, enjoyment in, um, you know, career or lifestyle or work life balance is that you love what you do. So it's, you know, within yourself, you're, you're making a billion a year. You might only be making so much on, on a printed piece of paper, but you're making, you know, uh, a trillion dollars a year just because you love what you do. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, for many years, I was a mess because I really didn't know what I wanted to do. And I was doing this and did that and did something else. And mm -hmm. finally, uh, I married my lovely young wife who was in the background there, but we have a, a, a we share an office. So, uh, and uh, she brought me around and uh, that's where I am today because of her. She's, uh, we've been married now 45 years. And we have a great family. Uh, they're all behind me 100%. The, uh, it's just really very, it just feels good to have the right thing going on. That's, I always try to do the right thing as much as possible. I, I'm straight out, straight shooter. I don't worry about it, anything because first of all, worry is a wasted effort. Mm. It doesn't do anything. I mean, have you ever sit there and worry about something and you look at it hasn't changed a bit life is a funny thing because it doesn't care yeah it just goes on and you either adjust yourself to the flowing river of life or <laughs> you drown yeah but um it's it's it took a long while because i had to like reprogram a little computer there in my head and if something doesn't go right i shrug and go on next next because the more time you spend wasting about feeling sorry for yourself is more time it, you waste not getting to where you want to be in the first place. So, yeah, there you are. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, um, you know, you, you, uh, to touch on that point, how would you say, how would you say you've been impacted by the current state of affairs, the quarantine oh. and, 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 uh, the shut in? Yeah, Post it's terrible. Um, uh, naturally, we stick pretty close to the house and go out occasionally for something that's necessary. Of course, most of my stuff is done on a computer anyway, so that doesn't really bother me. I, I don't let it bother me, but it's been just horrendous because I don't know exactly where I want to shoot or when I want to shoot. Uh, I've got to make sure that some of the situation is cleaned up a little bit. Mm -hmm. uh, it looks like you if I did start shooting while the 
COVID situation still going on. I mean, I got to add three or four extra people to the crew to, uh, to make sure that all the situation is covered correctly and everyone is safe because that's just, oh my goodness. Uh, and of course, um, gotta be honest, uh, they're kind of blowing it up a little bit more than it really is. Uh, I don't trust the whole situation, quite frankly. Uh, I'm a conservative, be honest with it. Uh, I don't say much about it because all these idiots out there babbling their minds and then I have to turn on apologize for stuff. And so if you don't say anything in the first place, <laughs> nothing to apologize. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, I, I get that. I get that. Um, for me, I, I, I'm just, I, I just decided to play it safe, you know, and I've, I've found, I've found a lot of projects and a lot of telework and a lot of, uh, you know, you know, things like this podcast and, and there's other, there's other shows that I do live streaming just from my, my home studio, you know, from my basement, um, from my, my lounge. And I've been able to make that work. I've been able to, because like you were saying, if something goes wrong, I'm not going to, you know, harbor on that one thing. You know, I'm not going to, uh, the, the world's, the world has ended because this one project fell through. I've always been, you know, work. I've always been, I've always had multiple irons in the fire and I've had colleagues that they're just, they're just hell bent on this, this one script. What about this one script? I'm like, dude, I don't know what's going on with that one script, but I've got, I've got, I'm, I'm looking at that script. I got 17 other scripts. I got uh, five other outlines. I got a podcast. I've got a, I've got a lot, another live stream. I've got another live show that I'm doing. And so when this whole quarantine thing happened, I found it a great opportunity for me to just relax. Uh, me and the wife, me and the wife brought home a baby boy uh, four months ah, ago. That's so, for you. so it was, thank you. So it was definitely an opportunity to just be hands on and, start editing a bunch of passion projects that I had in the can and didn't have time to edit because I was out on this set or this site, you know, this event, this gig, this show, this, this film, et cetera. So finally, Hey, I'm trapped in the basement for, for four straight months. Uh, edit all this stuff, knocked that out, started a live stream, knocked that out, started a podcast and then steadily just, and doing all that. And, and at the same time, finalizing scripts, um, for me, especially because of, you know, we have, we have a young child, me and my wife, out of respect to them, out of concern for them, it's not just me, it's just everybody else. So I get that, that some people might believe that this is blown, blown out of proportion more than it is, or maybe it's not, maybe it is very extremely serious. You know, you can, you know, one person will believe one, one thing, another person will believe another thing, but it's out of respect out of concern for general public, let's just play it as safe as possible. And I, just because of my kid, I'm going to say, okay, it's as bad as it's, it's as bad, if not worse than, than they're saying, I'll wear a mask and I'll wear gloves and I'll hand sanitizer all the time and Lysol everything and, and Clorox wipe everything and work from home as much as possible. I'm going to go out as very little as possible. Mm -hmm. And, and, and that's just not, it's just not me that I'm concerned about. It's my neighbors. It's, it's my family. It's my friends. It's my neighbors. It's the mm -hmm. whole community. Hell. I mean, um, and it just said, it just said in the news that a beer and wine store I just went to a couple of weeks ago was closed down and now we're freaking out. And so 
who's to say it was closed down because they found somebody, maybe an, I think an employee caught it. I, I, I didn't, I didn't read the full thing. I just figured, okay, see, it just says, it just goes to show you, you got to be even more cautious when you're going out just for simple groceries and stuff like that. And so I get, you know, I, I get the, I, I get the suspicions that, Hey, it's maybe not as bad as, as it is, but at the same time, I think it's just the general concern that I'm not the only one here that we got to be looking out for, you know? Well, it will be what it will be. And we can only hope that things will improve and, uh, they start thinking about the people's lives and how we can help them get through all this business. Uh, I'm really particularly blessed because I don't count on this thing to make a living. Mm -hmm. So I don't have that pressure at all. Uh, I can well imagine that uh, younger people still work for a living I mean, I can't remember the last time I had an actual real job, but uh, (laughs) I don't, you know, I'm not wealthy or anything, but I I get by okay. So that's good enough. I'm not a greedy person. My stuff I share, I share what I'm going to, whatever I'm going to do. It's just, it's, I can just well imagine some of these Folks out here, the younger ones, I just must be going through a terrible time trying to make ends meet and get by and living. And it's a real shame that we don't have better thing on that. So we can only hope that that man upstairs will kind of smile down on us and make things better pretty soon. Yeah, yeah. I I have no doubt. I mean, you know, you know that you know the old phrase: "It's only going to get worse before it gets better." And but the next thing you know, I mean, I've been deployed. I'm sure you've been deployed and you think it just gets worse and worse. The cabin fever, the boredom, um, the, the, the anxiousness to just hurry up and get home. It just gets worse, 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 worse. And then you wake up one morning and the deployment's over. You're off duty. You're home. You know, you're relaxing. And I've, you know, I haven't, I haven't done many deployments. I've done one deployment. I remember basic training. I can't wait to get home. And the next thing I know, six months later, I'm home. You know, I'm, I'm All relaxing. The time. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and so like, so when it comes to thinking about situations like this, where, oh God, when is this thing going to, when are they going to find a vaccine? When are things going to get better? When, when is, when is the civil unrest going to, you know, you know, ca- start to calm down. And the next thing you know, it's going to be, you know, six months to a year later and, and things are going to be a little bit calmer and more peaceful. And, and the next thing you know, so it, it's just a matter of, it's a matter of patience, understanding, um, looking out for each other. You know, all the little key points, it's the day by day, it's the step by step. Well, uh, <laughs> I don't even bother watching the news anymore. Yeah. Uh, I, I go online, look at different things casually and don't even bother thinking about whether it is or isn't because I'm busy. I got things to do. So I, I just ignore most of all that crap and just get myself ready for when I know things will get better. Sure. No, of course. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so uh, you being a filmmaker. Well, first off, uh, you know, before you mentioned something about you worked with uh, John Wynn on one of his last projects. You want to mm-hmm. delve into okay. that? Okay. We were down at Point Wainimi, and I was in the Navy Reserve 
audiovisual group, of course. And so they they were going to come up with this little short film and John had agreed to do it. So they looked at me and they said, well, Carl, you're an actor and you, you got the uniform. Why don't you be the CB? And I said, oh, okay. <laughs> so when we got on set, he was totally in charge and nobody even objected at all. Nobody said a word. Mm-hmm. He was really a force. And the first scene was on the other side of the museum with stuff in where I couldn't see. And he didn't like the setup. And he started roaring. And I went, oh, my God, what have I got myself into? They come over to him and he goes, hi, right, you ready to go, son? I said, yes, sir. <laughs> and Because c- I have I'm been blessed with a really good memory. So I, have, I memorize everything down cold. And boom. And then we... In between, we'd take a break, go out in his motorhome and play gin. And uh, we'd go back on the set and he'd go, all right, roll them cameras now. <laughs> and then he'd get to the where we'd finish the thing and he'd whack me in the gut and say, oh, that's good. Now let's go back. <laughs> but he was really quite nice in person. <laughs> I was down to his home there in Orange County and Saw the tin goose out there in the bay when it was still had that. And you walk into his house, you walk in, and it's a, like a garden area where you go along thing in different rooms to get into. And go into one place where we're going to meet with him. He's got this big table, all these awards. He's won one, the one big Oscar sitting up in the middle. And uh, he was just a down to earth, really pleasant fellow, actually. So. That was uh, quite something. It was just uh, amazing to, to do it. Of course, naturally, I have footage of it and the whole thing. So, Awesome. Yeah, wow. I mean, yeah, I was a fan of some of uh, John Wayne's stuff. Um, I wish I got more into it, but I remember uh, tr- the, the original True Grit with him, and I was always trying to get into The Searchers, but... I think that was when I was younger and I always, and I always wanted the, uh, I was more, I was always more into the, uh, the forced vengeance type mm-hmm. of flicks. So, um, yeah, but you know, those, I, you know, his, his films, you know, then they were kind of slow burns, but people were just fascinated by him. And now, you know, like, like, like we said before, it's just, as we progress, we want something faster, we want something faster, 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 faster. Mm-hmm. And I remember uh, a couple of years ago, this film came out called, anthropoid uh about operation anthropoid during world war ii um czech czech assassins were trying to take out an ss officer mm-hmm. and it's basically it's based on a true story and watching it it's very slow burn like like the original true grit um even the remake of true grit is very slow burn and it's you know every once in a while they'll come out with films that are done in a classic style where these characters slowly slowly build then there might be a shootout, which is pretty intense, or there might be a fist fight or a bar fight. You know, the saloon fight—that's that's a bit intense. And then it's and then they're and then they're going then they're on horseback going to the next town, and it's 15 minutes of of character development and talking. And then you finally have that climactic event, like uh, even Open Range with Kevin Costner and. Uh, yeah, I have the DVD. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Along with uh, 1,600 others. <laughs> Robert Duvall, Kevin Costner. You know, that was a very slow burn type of film. And I think every once in a while we get that. 
but generally it seems that the 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 big money makers and and what and what comes out uh, what what's what's really you know getting made left and right is just fast-paced action or comedy or action mm-hmm. comedy mm-hmm. and and uh you know i appreciate i don't know if you ever seen heat with de niro oh, yeah. and Pacino, I, have, the, I have both of them yeah yeah so both the uh the, the newer one and the one with uh, burt reynolds i have both of them yeah uh, the, i hate guy functional family films and overly dramatic and i do, i hate riding off into the west and leaving the girl behind i i don't want messages like i believe louis b mayer said uh, if i want to send a message i'll go to western union and uh <laughs> yeah like come on i want entertainment i want to be entertained i want to get away rid of the trials of the day and just relax and take and have enjoy myself I couldn't agree with you more. I have a lot of discussions with fellow colleagues. What is the point of filmmaking and art and imagination? You know, filmmaking, if, it, if there is such thing as magic, you know, if, you know, people don't believe in magic, well, there is real world magic and it's, and it's filmmaking, it's, it's CGI, it's special effects, it's animation. And t- for me per- personally, the gift of filmmaking is to see you know the Marvel movies, the DC movies, the Star Wars movies, the Star Trek movies mm-hmm. to create to create something that doesn't exist and to make it real. Because you could ask somebody today, does Luke Skywalker and Princess Leia do they exist? And they do in a way. They actually do exist. Lightsabers exists. Um, you know, Captain America, Spider Man, Superman. They do exist in a way. They do exist because they were created with this magical tool that we have well the thing that always occurred to me if i wanted to see some of this overdone drama all i got to look out the window for crying out loud i don't have to go see a movie about it mm-hmm. uh it's just and then another thing that kind of irritates of course i have this list of pet peeves that i will definitely put into my films and <laughs> correct to my satisfaction mm-hmm. um it, it, it's these people say, well, it's not real. Well, no, of course it's not real. It's a dang story for crying out loud. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, come on. You know, well, he doesn't look like he should do it. Oh, come on, and knock it off. If you yeah. don't like it, just don't watch it, for goodness sakes. <laughs> yeah, that's 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 the big thing me and my wife go back and forth about. You know, we'll watch something, you know, Marvel, Marvel movies or Star Wars, and she says, oh, this could never happen. I'm like, that's why I'm watching it. <laughs> You know, but then again, she's a big fan of Game of Thrones with with dragons and, and ice zombies. You know, she likes that. But but uh, she's always, she always says this could never happen. And that's well, that's exactly that's the nice why thing about uh, science fiction is you can say whatever you like and nobody can prove you're wrong. Exactly. Yeah. Especially if it's on another planet. Of course, it's possible. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. So uh, speaking of which. For you, is there a film or a series of films or is there a series um, or, or books that you've been reading that, uh, you know, that, that have captured your attention, helped you, helped you just uh, escape, get through all this, um, or just well, help you pass the time? For Father's Day weekend, our son and his family took my wife and I up to their cabin and I got away from the whole thing. And the only thing I did that whole weekend is I read a book 
uh, was uh, 900 pages and I got it read in two days because I read very fast and I retain most of what I read. Wow. And uh, so I've read some books that I thought would make very good films. I've got one script I came across I think would make a great film. It's about a female senator a la Clinton type that's running for president. She and her father want to get into the office and take over the world and and they got this uh, dust that they're, they want to get into everybody because they want to get rid of the minorities. Well, they're not going to kill them. What this dust does is keep them from reproducing. Mm-hmm. And so they will automatically die out within two or three generations. Mm-hmm. And the only thing that stands in their way is this older, uh, if it was, uh, if he was alive today, it'd be a um, Robert Mitchum type private detective that starts getting into how they're putting all this in together and he finally ends up getting it all squared away. But it's it, well written and uh, I think it would make good. I, I would just see Meryl Streep as the, in the role. And of course, naturally, when you start talking about people like that, you're talking about higher budgets. <laughs> and, oh, yeah. uh, that's been one of my biggest disadvantages is not knowing exactly what these people make. So I got to really uh, kind of get more into that. So I make sure I budget the darn thing correct. Cause I, see, I did a lot of uh, associate producer, production manager kind of thing on several small budget films. I solved mm-hmm. tons of problems. I think on my feet, I, I don't stress at all. And it just seemed that, uh, there was ways to get this thing done without going crazy on it. So I think that once I get my head in to getting some of these things done uh, with some of the background I've had, uh, I really feel like I can make some good films that people enjoy watching. So we'll see. I got, (laughs) I got one called Frankenstar. About this uh, rock and roll singer at the top of his career, he's been drinking and drugs and his wife leaves him and he gets so depressed he kills himself. Mm -hmm. Well, this mad scientist steals the body and brings him back as a cyborg. And, uh, but things go terribly wrong. It's a back from the dead and ready to rock your world. (laughs) (laughs) I got all kinds of different stuff. And I think the beauty is, you know, uh, you know, one of the biggest trends for the, maybe the past ten, five, five years is, you know, a lot of retro ideas, a lot of retro films. And I just saw this movie on Shudder. I watched, I only got halfway through it. The wife demanded I turn it off and put on uh, Lifetime or something. But it was uh, this movie called Wolf, Wolf Cop. And it says, and it's as simple as it sounds. This cop gets bit by a werewolf. He starts turning into a werewolf. He starts turning into a wolf during the whole, progressively throughout the whole movie. And he's trying to investigate and trying to track down this other werewolf that bit him and try to figure out how to stop him from being turned into a werewolf. And it's crazy. And it's, you know, as, as he progresses, he's a werewolf with a cop's uniform and he still has his gun. He still has his badge. <laughs> he still has his uh, nightstick. And it's so, it just came out, I think the last couple of years, but 
it's it's so reminiscent of those old 80s yeah red, you know grindhouse goofy now we got to go back to some of those old films because uh some of the new stuff that are coming out is crap but uh your wife probably like mine uh uh, uh oh my mind just went blank um what, thank you <laughs> she keeps me straight uh hallmark channel hallmark yep mm-hmm and of course, I have a really good friend of mine who lives across the bay, a writer. All the scripts he's done, he's gotten 14 made into films. So he's a pro. Most of his stuff ends up on Hallmark Channel. So uh, I'm sure that's... Well, see, that's the whole thing now with the new distribution that's turned upside down. No theaters. So, oh, okay. So now you better make your budgets coincide with what market there is. Mm-hmm. That's mostly streaming and DVD mm-hmm. and TV. And that's about where it's going to be until they drive in theaters. Um, so I've done a lot of research because I do a lot of reading. I keep, I'm still learning stuff. I either, I read stuff. I'll learn something new or I'll confirm that what I know is correct. Mm-hmm. I don't take it for granted. I know I, there's words I've taken out of my vocabulary. So uh, I don't just automatically go with something. I'll look it over and make sure. But the thing is, so what kind of money is there in the market? Okay, you can figure five to seven mil. You can still possibly get your money back but then there's also with the rebate situation Mm -hmm. in fact uh one of my little secrets (laughs) is uh the rebates now there was a a federal tax code 181 that would allow you to the investor to take a 27 percent rebate off the whole budget Mm -hmm. It's been replaced by a new one called 168, which will give you 100%. Then you go to a particular state with 25 to 30% of what you spend. You're looking at an investor being able to go into profit before you even get into distribution. Mm. So (laughs) these are things I look at. I look at stuff like that because I'm figuring... Doggone it, if you don't make any money on your movie, you're not going to make any more. Right. See, so if you can get the movie, get the budget correct, get the get the story really cool and get one or two or three recognizable people in it, and then you make money and then you make another one. So as long as you keep doing that, then you can... I, 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 I'll be honest, a lot of the independent... Filmmakers out there haven't got a clue in a business. They they make a movie, they, they scrounge out and get the money, they make their movie, throw it in the hands of a distributor and says, make me some money. Can't do it that way. Yeah. So anyway, I'll get off that now. No, that's fine. No, I mean, well, I'm learning I'm learning a lot because you're right. Uh as far as making a movie, even you know, in today's age, and especially with this quarantine, you know, finding production hacks and working around uh no crew you know I, I found i found ways of making you know 
different pockets of you know small little micro projects and doing it in um I'm working on one project and I'm trying to make it in, in the vein of the old radio serials from the 1910s, 1920s, you know, the, uh, mm. the, fan, the Phantom and you know, back when it was the Batman, you know, mm. and uh, uh, um, the Hitchhiker, you know, those old, those old, old radio serials and kind of delving into that and maybe adding, you know, some, some animation, some slight animation to it. And well, like for whatever it's worth, if you ever have any questions or you'd like me to look over something for you, I'd be more than happy to do it for you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. you never know. Another guy looking at something might give you some thought, mm -hmm. a good direction to go with it. Um, yeah. If I anything I can be of any assistance, you just let me know. Of course. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I love to network and I love to collaborate. Because um, like you said, you, there might be that one thing that you point out I never thought of. And then 17 things start to click for both of us even. So absolutely. So speaking of which, what, it, what's your, what's your next agenda or your next set of goals say for the next six months to a year? And, and you, you touched upon it. You've got a bunch of, you, you got a few projects in the works, but. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, as I said, I have three sources of potential funding right now that I'm talking with. So what I'm trying to do is put the right project in front of them that they'll accept. And quite frankly, I figured to go with the lower three to five mil first to test the market, to see how it goes. And then I've got a few scripts in the seven to eight to nine mil. I even got a Western script, Sam Bass Outlaw. Now, there's a guy who was a really big name in Outlaw back in the Old West, but nobody's done very much with him. You know, Billy the Kid, you know, all these other guys, but you don't know him. Mm -hmm. I think one film has been done on him. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'd love to get Scott Eastwood to play the role, uh, naturally. So that means a little higher budget. But I take it step at a time and test as I go along to make sure I'm on the right foot. Uh, I've got... Uh, I've got a really cool female-driven thriller wherein the lead actress has to portray two versions of the same character because of a memory loss. Naturally, I would more than likely look for a woman director to, because I feel that she would have the right attitude and feelings to push the thing forward in a correct manner. And if you get a couple of right people in the cast, that's, see, that's where the real kick is, getting the right cast mm -hmm. and then letting them turn them loose and let them do it. Yeah. And uh, so I, I can appreciate that from being an actor myself. Uh, I, I was uh, on, uh, I almost got away with it and I got to make up my own lines for my character. And that was kind of cool. Uh, I've, I've just, I've done all kinds of different little things here and there. And so it gives me pause for thought whenever I, if I'm going to put something out, I want people to be able to enjoy it. And of course, then you, then you get those test audiences and think, oh. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, you know, based on, based on some of my, of studying you know behind the scenes and these commentaries of these films oh, always always yeah most of the problems come from studio meddling 
and not yeah. from and not from test audiences. You know, some people might not get the joke. Some people do. A lot of people, but based on what I've read, based on what I've you know uh, uh, kind of acquired over the years, is that the test audiences always appreciate the director's cut, the director's version, as opposed to studios, because studio execs are not filmmakers. A lot of times, studio execs are most times are just you know business. Well, wow. suits with egos. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and so you got a studio exec that just does not like an actress for whatever stupid reason. But most of them don't have a clue what the audience wants anyway. Yeah. And, and, and then nobody can tell you, nobody can tell you how a film will do. They can suppose what they think it might do, but you don't know about this audience. Right. Will it accept or reject your film? Yeah. And I know it's tricky. I know there's million dollars. I know there's, I don't know, with, with, with Disney, I mean, there's billions of dollars, trillions of dollars at stake. But, uh, you know, art is, it's a tricky thing. I know it's, a, I know, I know it's, a, I know it's, I know it's, I know a film is a property that is expecting a return, that it's also art. You know, Picasso didn't care what other people thought about his paintings. He just painted them and they turned out to be masterpieces. And, you know, the earlier filmmakers like Akira Kurosawa, I mean, Japan's a totally different, you know, universe over there. So uh, uh, clearly Kurosawa was looked at as, you know, a master and they, whatever he, whatever he said, they obeyed and they made the film the way he wanted to make the film. But, 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 but then you look at that and you realize that the, the, the filmmaker's vision obviously was the best one. And, you know, he, he's a master st storyteller. Michael Mann put his foot down with heat and he said, three hours, three hours or bust. Um, everything that I wanted in this film or bust. And it turned out to be one of the greatest cop movies ever made. One of, one of my top, you know, films ever of all time, still to this day. But then you have, you know, filmmakers like, Dave, like especially, you know, David Ayer uh, making Suicide Squad and studio meddling, everyone demanding the, 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 the Ayer cut, David Ayer cut. And he's, you're not going to get it because Warner Brothers, you know, shit canned it. And it's what you what you see is what you get. It's Warner Brothers cut only. And because the studio meddled and the studio continues to meddle. Whereas the, here's the beauty of Marvel and, and not to get into like the specifics of this, but Marvel, Kevin Feige runs Marvel Studios. Kevin Feige is the biggest comic book fan ever. He knows all the characters. He knows the comic book versions of the universes. He knows he's got the whole Marvel Cinematic Universe planned out already in his head or in, an, or in some master notebook in, in a vault somewhere. And he knows, how to, he knows how to play it out, but he lets each film be written and directed. Mm -hmm. As long as they stay within this, you know, as long as A equals Z, each... I'm sure he's he's I'm sure he's a good producer and he steps in well, when, he, when he needs to. Here's another very important factor. When I look for behind the camera, in front of the camera, not only do I look for experience and talent, but I look for those that I can get along with. Yeah. I have been on films where I couldn't get along with some people. It makes it a really long process, mm -hmm. painful. It's it interrupts everything right. so you got to be you got to get along with you got to like each other so, absolutely uh, and that's no, you're right I, i'm very fortunate because i have got a team behind me that we all get along really well 
And you've raised a good point, and I brought this up before, whereas do I want a fantastic actor, a great actor who's won a couple Oscars and is the biggest pain in the ass to work with, the biggest jerk? Or do I want a pretty good actor who's known for supporting roles on TV for the last 10 years? And he's a pretty good actor. He can play the role, but he's fun to work with. He's, he shows up on time. Boom, 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 boom. Okay, is it martini time yet? Let's go, let's go have a drink and then see you tomorrow. Instead of, instead of a nightmare of a guy who, who shows up drunk, shows up late, shows up drunk. He had 10 martinis that night because he doesn't know how to control himself. He, oh, but he's got a couple Oscars. Well, who cares? Because he's a nightmare to freaking work with. Well, what I do is I go into my drill instructor mode and mm -hmm. I, I have a deep voice and I can, I, I want that done now. You stop this right now. Yeah. You're fired. <laughs> or or there, there, there's always that tactic where, you know, a producer will hire somebody, a buddy, hire him on purpose. And the buddy knows he's going to get fired that day. And everyone was like, holy crap, they're running a tight ship. But there, there's always somebody hired on purpose. And the person hired knows this, that they're going to get fired after a day or two. Like you screwed up, you're fired. And everybody else is like, oh, shoot, don't screw up. But that's their whole <laughs> That's their whole purpose is to get hired and fired yeah, within it. Yeah. It's a, it's a tactic. It's like a, it's like a producer's tactic, like to hire this one person just to fire them. Mm -hmm. And uh, well, I've been told that whenever I walk onto a set, I have a very calming influence and everybody is glad to see me there. And I'm not there to just to fire somebody. In fact, I have a, a file of jokes in my computer that I'll pull out of every once and spread them around and go, some are awful, but yeah, <laughs> it just gets people to relax and be happy doing their job. Yeah, and uh, I kind of get down with them. Although I will admit that you got to be a little careful about how friendly you get with people because there are idiots that will take try to take advantage of it. Mm -hmm. So you stop that one in its tracks right now, and it's just a case of getting everybody to work together. Like I, I plan very much. If I get a certain crew together, I'll try to make them be the same crew for each film because then they get to know the shorthand and pay them. That, see, on a low budget film, the problem is that you have to wear more than one hat. Mm -hmm. You have to wear, I mean, I, I was on, I was a social producer, production manager, uh, battery charger guy, uh, uh, drive the motor home, and you know, and all this stuff. And I'm, man, I can't do that crap anymore. <laughs> yeah. I want to hire more people, so all I have to do is say yes or no. <laughs> yes, yeah. Oh, yeah, I've been there. Yeah, I've been there. I was a uh, you know, I, there's a number of films where I was an AD and I had to step in to play an actor last minute, someone bailed out, and then. I'm driving, you know, there was a couple of days that as the AD, I was driving one of the, uh, the grip trucks, you know, because of something, I, I can't remember what. And we don't uh, have enough money to hire more people. Yeah. I mean, shoot, you know, the big budget, I you just, if you see just in transportation on that, some of the end credits of some of these films, you know, there's like 10 drivers just to drive trucks, go from here to there, they're back, they're back. And then there's uh, you know, there's the shuttle van drivers and that's, that's all they do for like, what, a month is they're driving this shuttle van from the hotel to the set, from the set to the hotel. That's it. You know, it, you can't afford that. And I, and I know there's a number of films where, you know, one truck had, uh, you know, I, when it, you know, before I got rid of my truck um, and I was driving as the AD, I was driving the director 
and um, one, of the, one of the production coordinator, the production manager, and we were in my truck. And then the writer, the executive producer, the makeup lady, she was in another truck and we were just in the same truck. And of course I got a stipend, but it's like, yeah, as the AD, you know, you got to be the first one on set. And there were days I'm like, yo, we got to go. We're leaving now. We're leaving now. And they're getting flustered, but it's, yeah, you know, when you have, um, when you have some money for extra drivers, you know, it's, it's little things like that. Well, the thing is, I never tell people what I want. What I do is I tell them that what I've got will be good for them. And they have more of a tendency to listen to you then because, uh, let's face it, a lot of people don't really care what you want. Mm -hmm. And uh, a lot of these people want to say, well, send them a script. They don't want to read the script. They don't care about the script. So I have what I call a synopsis package with a cool cover and a synopsis and an executive summary. And so it gives them an idea of who I am, what I've got, how it will work for them, how I'm going to pay it back. And if you want more information, let me know. Mm -hmm. Boom. Eight or nine pages. I mean, uh, I had some guy come up with a 75-page business plan. I says, nobody's going to read it. Yeah, they're going to pass it down to yeah, somebody, to somebody, to somebody, and nothing. Anyway, that's just me. Yeah, there've <laughs> been there've been there've been numerous times with other colleagues or potential colleagues where they want to sit there and they they want to tell me about it, and I'm like, listen, no offense, but you know, we're at this cocktail party, we're at this network meeting. Here's my here's my card. Email me an outline. Email me a synopsis, and then. No email. Have you got your elevator pitch down, Pat? <laughs> right. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, the elevator pitch, that better be quick. That's a good point. But they don't. And then so I say, look, look, man, we're here to have a good time. This is a networking thing. We can talk a little bit. And that's all. And when it comes to networking parties and networking events, it's all about that elevator pitch. Beyond that, send me an email. You know, uh, I tell them like, hey, I got a show. You know, it's like this, but it's like that. It's on YouTube. Here's my card. Check it out. And I'm there passing out. I'm passing out cards in person. But that's about it as far as the elevator pitch. But they're like, hey, send me a synopsis on this, that, and the other thing. I'm like, I'll, I'll write you an email within a day. But chances are I've got something pre-written, and it's just copy and paste in an email. Copy and paste in an email. Yep. But yep. so many colleagues have wanted – and then they sent – I've had colleagues just send me two Google links – okay click click okay i see a picture i see a headline okay no man tell tell me what you're if, if you're i you had an idea for a documentary you had an idea for a film send me a synopsis your version don't send me google links don't send me yeah. don't send me i don't know if you've already uh looked at it or not but i have two pages on facebook and two pages on imdb uh one is under my stage name which was Carl Irwin because I dropped the O because I didn't want him to be typecast, etc. <laughs> Although I'm, I don't look Italian, I'm half. Uh, then uh, the other one is under Atomic Hollywood. So people can see pretty much who I am and what I'm, what I'm all about and what I've got so far in the mill. And uh, they're always welcome to uh, check it out and see what, what they want. And if anybody has questions, I'll always try to answer them as much as I can. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I guess we've been uh, been chatting for an hour or so. Okay. Yeah. yeah no. Hey, there's no, there's no time limit. If, if you got, if you got time, um, well, let me let me let me let me ask you one more one last thing. Uh, what, okay. What's your what would be your viewpoint? What well, what's your vision for the new normal? Hmm. That's a good question. It's a lot of it's going to depend on just who takes over and who is, if anybody's able to fix this bit of a mess that we're in, because it is, it's a horrible mess and people are running rampant. People are saying things when they should shut up. Uh, we need to, uh, I don't know if there's, there's going to be a new normal. There's going to be a new something. Uh, I just hope it, goes to the plus side. I have to be more of an optimist than I am a pessimist, but boy, oh boy, the way things are now, you can't tell. I mean, people are lining up on freeways and give me a break, man. Let people live their lives and just quit. So I'm gonna be watching to see how this thing turns out and I'll bet a hundred bucks that we'll know a whole lot more after the November elections. Because yeah. it depends on who gets in from there as to what happens. And I'll just try to readjust to whatever shows itself. Yeah. No. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's. Well, thanks, Don. I appreciate yeah. you having me on your show. Absolutely. Absolutely. Any, any last point you want to make? Any last bit of advice? Well, if you make a decision to get into this really tough business. Don't give up. Keep after it. Uh, keep learning. Craft. Get your craft honed down to a part where you know exactly what you're doing. Uh, keep learning. That's all. Uh, and, and just go after it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Carlo, thank you for joining. Thanks for coming on the show. It was, it was great chatting with you. Um, you heard it. Uh, Atomic Hollywood. Um, you can find Carlo on IMDb. And uh, thanks again. It was a great talk. Learned a lot. And uh, yeah, to my viewers out there, like, subscribe, share, comment, ring the bell for notifications. Definitely subscribe. Thanks for watching and check us out next time. Okay.